You're jacked. He's jacked. Jacked, bro. As usual, we forget to do the intro music and just lurch right into conversation so that the the beginnings of our shows are always awkward, which is consistent with the remainder of the show. So we do we do <laughs> laud ourselves on our consistency, but as uh, we were starting to open the door on a topic that we have not discussed at all, is often the case here. And by the way, this is Unkfew. I'm Unk. That's Few. Yo, Say hello, Few. The Few. The Few. The Proud. The Bleemon. <laughs> and uh, so we have not discussed this at all, and this is a topic that it actually has two topics that are closely related, and they are as follows. One is, have you seen the Netflix show The Social Dilemma? Oh, man. I just, yeah, I watched it this past week. It's okay, amazing. great, great. Because I'd like to talk about that because I think there's a whole lot to potentially discuss there. And secondly is, I have uh, mentioned this past client of mine who's become a friend. He's, I don't, really don't know how old he is. I'm going to say he's probably over 80 and he's just a very youthful, hip dude. You know, sometimes people are older, but they're just hip, and you don't even care what their age is. They're just cool. This guy uses a Proton Mail email account. You know what that is? Have you talked about yeah. that? Yeah. So, I yeah. mean, to me, that's something in and of itself that, like, an 80-year-old typically would 80-year-old doesn't do. do that. Right. He goes way beyond that in terms of this particular level of expertise he has, and that's what I want to talk about, is this guy turned me on to a book. You ever heard of Comsec? No. Okay, well, I have the book in my hands. Here's the cover. It says, ComSec, Off-the-Grid Communication Strategies for Privacy Enthusiasts, Journalists, Politicians, Crooks, and the Average Joe. So, ComSec is the name of this book. C-O-M-S-E-C. And I'm just going to read you the summary at the end of the first chapter. And when this gentleman, whose name is Jim, when Jim told me about this book, he said, all I want you to do, get the book, just read the first chapter. And... And it's only 10 pages or less, actually. It's probably less than 10 pages. And if that first chapter doesn't get your attention, then there's nothing for us to discuss. If it does get your attention, then come back to me and we'll talk about it. So I got the book, and I'm just going to read you the summary of the first chapter. It's not long, so just bear with me for a second. By carrying a smartphone, you are making an enormous privacy compromise. You have chosen to carry a device that marries an incredible sensor array and several radio interfaces with a baseband processor. When combined, your device is capable of constantly monitoring and recording your location even when you have disabled location services and believe the device to be turned off. Refine your location through Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to a matter of a few feet and determine your location within a building. Monitoring your microphone even when you believe the device to be turned off. Remotely activating the cameras. Betraying your standard voice and text data to the cellular service provider, law enforcement, and government agencies, and malicious hackers, and mapping your home and knowing when you sleep, wake, and your patterns of activity. So that's the summary from that first chapter. And this dude does not own a cell phone. He Whoa. he carries a combination of devices that simulate a phone. He carries sure. an iPod, which basically serves as a phone. He has a hotspot he carries with him. And then he has a couple of other devices that are a little bit too technical for me to remember or explain. But the gist of it is they make 
a bag. Basically, the bag cloaks your device. It prevents a device from sending or receiving radio signals. So basically, that means that a cell tower won't know where your cell phone is. So basically, mm -hmm. what he does is once he gets within a certain number of blocks of where he lives, he puts whatever device he wants to cloak into that bag so that the remainder of the way home, they won't know where he is. Now, somebody might listen to everything I've said so far and say, wow, these are some paranoid people. But when you really stop and think about, and, and there's a lot more to this that I haven't mentioned that we'll, uh, that we'll unpack as we talk, but as, as another example that was in this first chapter, when you're traveling about the landscape, your cell phone is constantly engaging and disengaging with cell towers as it moves. Yep. And who, whatever businesses, whether it's a Verizon or Comcast or any of the businesses that would have anything to do with a cell tower, they basically have access to information that would just blow your mind in terms of like, for example, if you just do a quick web search as you're driving down the road, well, that's recorded. That's actually recorded by the vendors who have access to that, that tower. So the point is prior to reading this first chapter of this book, I thought, okay, my risk on this stuff is contained and limited to just Verizon. That's my cell provider. What well, turns yep. out that's not true at all. It's any cell provider that used that tower that I'm using right now could potentially have access to whatever I'm doing on that tower and more. It really frightened me. And, and then again, to take this back to the other thing we're going to talk about, that social dilemma. I watched that last night and I was just, you know, I thought I knew most of that stuff. But when you see the way that they laid that out in that show, and by the way, I thought that was incredibly well done. What did you think? Oh, yeah, it was super well done. So this documentary that my uncle is talking about is on Netflix. I'm glad we're talking about it because I almost messaged you about it and was like, you need to watch this because it's just so pertinent to so many things that we're talking about. It here. really but is. The documentary in question is basically interviewing, I mean, really prominent people in Silicon Valley and in the development of social media. Name a fucking platform. And those are the people they spoke with. Yep. Like it's just it, it's a who's who of people who are involved with the development of all this stuff. Yep. It wasn't even a series of serious questions. It was almost like you could see that the interviews almost began with, OK, so what do these platforms do and what's it causing socially? What are the effects of them socially? And it's kind of almost like they just sort of pontificate about the platforms themselves and then sort of what they're doing to our social structure. And to a T, I mean, every single one of these people is like, it's horrible. Like, it's bad. I won't let my kids have one. I don't use one. I don't use a cell phone. I won't let my kids have Facebook. I don't really, I try not to use Google. I go to DuckDuckGo because it doesn't track my searches. There's a couple of people on there who, whose messages are so sobering that it's actually scary. And they're like, what do you think are some of the worst effects that are going to happen in this country based on the continued use of social media? And he just looks straight at the camera and goes, in the nearest time horizon, civil war. Yep. Like, that's the answer to his question. Yep. Like, and, he, he just, and just not even, he doesn't even laugh. He's like, that's what's, I really think that's going to happen. And you're like, Jesus, dude, this is. Uh, yeah. And I don't ugh. know, I don't know when, when they wrapped on the production of this thing, but, and it could have been very recent, but. It had to be some time ago because you know, these projects, there's always post-production and editing that takes time. 
And so, I mean, this is basically a movie. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it even has a fictional storyline that weaves through the whole thing, like this fictitious family and these things that happen within this fictitious family that relate to the use of social media. And so my point in saying that simply is, like, this is really well-polished. I mean, this, this is a high-end production thing. So it had to take quite a lot of time. My point is, this thing was probably done a couple of months ago at least, or close. So yep. lots of the activity that's going on in the world right now where you would say, well, yeah, Civil War is obvious. Well, maybe not two months ago or three months ago or whenever they finished this thing. Yeah, I mean, this clearly took a long time to develop. Yeah. So like, that makes that prediction all the more chilling because it was made back before, I think, things became so out of control. But yeah, I think what you said there about how you know, it wasn't it wasn't even so much like it was an interview. I viewed it almost more like a confessional because because what Yeah, that's actually pro that's not an inaccurate way to describe it. Well, and and you're absolutely correct too in what you said about the people because some of those people I recognized. I mean, recognized them just physically like, "Oh, I've seen that person before." Like the, right. there's an Indian guy who was responsible for the growth, membership growth of Facebook. Yep. Who he was one of the most outspoken people of all. Uh, I mean, yep. me, his attitude, his attitude was basically, I'm really sorry I had a hand in creating this. Well, it's fascinating because there's a French dude who they only spoke with for like one, uh, just a couple of minutes at the end of the show. And they said, I so exactly who you mean. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, so your algorithm that you've developed basically is sort of responsible for a lot of this. And how do you feel about that? And he was like, well, I'm very sorry about it. It is not very, you know, I did not, I'm not very happy about it or like whatever he said. It's interesting because that guy I've seen on a number of other things that he's been interviewed with. He created the algorithm that basically feeds you more stuff that it thinks you will like if you're on YouTube. I mean, just specifically, that's what he created. And that algorithm has been used for all kinds of shit now. Mm -hmm. But the first way that I noticed a lot of this was from actually the New York Times did a deep dive series on their podcasts called Rabbit Hole. And it was just talking about this kind of thing, which is how do you get more of the thing that you like, whatever you look at, how do they feed you more of that thing? How can you get a sense of, you know, how does this sort of just continue to feed you things you look at and, and then more radical versions of them. And then how does that inform the way that you see the world and all of this? I mean, it was just an exploration of those things. And he was very heavily featured in the first two episodes. I mean, our, like a lot of interviews. I mean, they, I don't want to say hours, but probably an hour of him being interviewed and his, just his deep dive onto that thing specifically is pretty terrifying because he's basically like this thing is really good at figuring out exactly what it can take you to. And it, and it doesn't matter, by the way, what side of the political spectrum you're on. And it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be political. That's the thing that's kind of really weird about it. It just reads your interest and it can feed you whatever the kind of the next level of that is. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know if you remember, but early podcast listeners uh, don't exist, first of all. But were they to, <laughs> they would recognize the fact that like early in this podcast that we were talking about, I was very staunchly like there was a problem with m migrants in Europe and, and uh, you know, radical Islam is like a whole problem. And I fell down a series of rabbit holes because I would start watching videos on 
you know, news in Paris. And then they would be like migrants. And then the next video would be like migrants come across borders. And then the next video would be like migrants are setting up camps and attacking people. And then the next one would be like migrants are posing social problems to Europe. Then the next one would be old neighborhoods that were previously historically relevant neighborhoods in European cities have now been overwhelmed with migrants. And then the next video will be like migrants have, you know, destroyed or completely changed, you know, the, the relationship of whatever you can see where this is going. And like that guy specifically, just that one dude developed the algorithm that allows this to happen basically. And as a result, people fall down these rabbit holes. I mean, and again, this is just one thing like this. This is just one aspect of one thing they touched on in this documentary. And that one thing alone has completely upset our entire social system because people in the amount of time it takes to just consume, let's say you're on a computer for five hours over a weekend and you consume five hours over three days or four days the different places that that algorithm takes you to, you are in a completely different space when you exit that weekend than you were when you entered it. It goes from, I watched a news article about what's happening in Europe with migrants to now I think migrants are posing this frustrating problem that needs to be taken care of in Europe and and they're ruining you know these historic sites that blah, 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 blah. It's just like, and, and again, like it doesn't even have to be that example. It can literally be anything. In the last few years, we've talked about this kind of thing a lot on this show, and it was rather disturbing to have so much of that so heartily confirmed by this documentary. Totally agree. Yeah. And to sort of say what you just said, but in a slightly different way, but it's the same basic point, is these algorithms basically figure out who you are, then they give you more of what you want based upon your prior selections of things, that's the first thought, which, I mean, you already made that point fairly clearly. But the second thing, which to me was even more horrifying, is the potential for manipulation. And the fact that one of the things that really stood out to me in the whole thing was somebody said this, you're online and you see comments being made by people and you think, how on earth can those people think like that? Are they not seeing all this stuff that I'm seeing? Nope, they're not. And oh my God, if there's anything I've ever said in the the history of this podcast that just punched me straight in the face, it was that right there. Because how many times have you and I had that conversation where I would say to you, dude, did you not see that? And you're like, no. Yeah. I've seen it 45 times on Facebook in the past two days. You have not seen that? Nope. And whoever it was that said that said, yeah, I mean, what you're getting served up is entirely different. I mean, we all knew that, but it's the the degree to which it's different. And that second point that I didn't finish is the potential for manipulation. For example, someone who is searching for information on, I'll just pick something that's a hot button that most people would view as a hot button, uh, vaccines. Yep. So just picture, I'm starting to search for vaccines. Well, what's it showing me? It could choose to show me all these things that are conspiratorial in nature. In other words, the vaccines are just a a scam. It's intended to inject things into your body that you don't want. It has little to do with actually curing anything. It could serve you up 20 of those things, or it could serve you up 20 things that are just straight science 
that support the fact that they're safe. You know what I mean? Just yeah. there's so much manipulation or potential for manipulation there. That part is terrifying. And, oh, yeah. and, and search and search results, like they give an example of that where, you know, you just type in, you're just searching on Google. What's it showing you? What what are the autofill options that show up? And I'll give you, I'll give you, and then I'll make one comment and let you reply to all that. Uh, there's a guy that I know online, his name is Kenny Cook. He posted the other day and he said, check this out. And he like had a screenshot of, he was trying to search for information on guns. And mm. it wasn't showing hardly any results. So I jumped in and I said, dude, like I noticed that months ago because I, as I've said on this show a bunch of times, I'm not a gun owner. Well, I am now. And yeah. I recently purchased a couple of shotguns. And we'll skip all that. I don't even need to explain that. But when I was searching for guns, I was stunned. You know how we, it, you know how you can search for, you can search for at, anything. Yeah, at the anything. lack of information that anything. came up. Oh, it yeah. was, dude, I'm telling you, it was insane. There was nothing there. Basically on Amazon, there was like nothing there. On Google searches, turned up almost nothing. And I'm like, okay, so this is the first time that I've ever been 100% positive that there is yeah. manipulation. In America, you're trying to tell me there's nothing on guns on Google? <laughs> exactly. My first reaction was what I'm sharing with you now, which is, oh my gosh, what on earth is going on here. And my second reaction was, well, this is a lot of work. You know, maybe uh, I'm gonna move on to my next thing on my to-do list. So picture that right there, just that one little, that last thing I said where, you know, for some people that might discourage them altogether from buying a gun. Now, it depends on yep. which side of the fence you're on as to whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But the point is, that's artificial manipulation of behavior. And, and then I'll make one more comment. I'm sorry, I lied. I'll make one more comment and then I'll stop. There was a graph at one point, the dude showed, it was like a, a classic time-lapse graph where the advances in technology are moving along, and then it just goes straight up. Remember that? Like oh, the yeah. gra graph goes straight up in terms of the degree to which technology is advancing versus the degree to which the human brain is advancing. And a bunch of people made this comment, which is, it's not a fair fight when you have this technology that's advancing at the levels and pace that it is in terms of outsmarting you, in terms of serving you up stuff that it knows you'll, you're going to be interested in and keeping you on Facebook, for example. I mean, how many times have you have, does that happen to you? I, it happens to me all the it's time. The number of, I've actually started to notice and I've, I start, I've paid attention to it quite a bit, how often I open Facebook with an intended purpose. Like, oh, I need to go write yep. this person back or I need to, post this thing about a comedy show or I need to post this link about whatever. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, what the fuck did I come on here to do again? It's like, what are we going to put at the top of your feet? And sometimes it's transparently awful in the sense that it's like, oh, are these all recent story posts by the hottest chicks I went to high school with? Like that just happened to be right at the front of my page. Like, of course, Come on, Facebook, you, that, you know, you're really showing your cards here. But the thing is, is it just doesn't have to like it doesn't care. It doesn't need to care whether or not you know what it's doing. It doesn't give a fuck about what you want. Well, and like, they made. It, yeah. Well, they, and they made that point too. several. Several of the people on that show made this point, which is that basically what's good for Facebook in terms of revenue optimization is literally what's bad for us. I mean, yep. it's not it's not by design. It's not like they set out for that to be the case. That's just the way it worked out. And at this point, they're not going to mess that up because it would mess up their profit 
And why would they do that? The ecosystem that has been created by not just Facebook, but by a lot of these platforms has created this weird artificial marketplace that doesn't make sense. We were angry at the idea that there was chemical addictions in cigarettes that they did not acknowledge to the public. And we all thought that was wrong. And these people lied about it. How dare they? We were like the chemical addictive, the, the addictive chemicals, they're already in your brain. They're already there. And all of I mean, all of that is just being manipulated by these people. The um, the philosopher Jean Baudrillard, one of these things that I've been listening to is him recently talking about signifiers in the economy and John Baudrillard. And it, this is relevant and fascinating because Baudrillard, as I said before, is one of my favorite philosophers. He was a French philosopher from the 70s through like the early aughts. And he passed away, I think, in 2008, I want to say. He was a sociologist, but he was also a philosopher at the University of Paris. And he wrote the book Simulacrum and Simulation. And the reason this is pertinent to this conversation is that part of the problem that Baudrillard believed would be plaguing us into the 21st century was this concept of cybernetics or like the loss of categories through the consistent proliferation of things. And so here's what he means by that. Plato has this thing called the allegory of the cave. And in the allegory of the cave, there are, this is in Plato's Republic and Socrates poses this question at a dinner party. He says, let's imagine there's a group of people and they're chained in such a way inside of a cave so that they can only face one direction in the cave. They can only face one cave wall in front of them. They can't move their heads. They can only look at one cave wall. Then behind them is a candle, and then there are people who are walking back and forth in front of the candle, and they're speaking, and the echo from their voices bounces across the cave wall in front of them so that the people who are chained look and see the shadows and mistake the shadows for the people. They only know the shadows and the echo of the shadows that are in front of them. Those people would grow up in a world in which they thought the shadows were the real thing. They thought that was the entire world in front of them, uh -huh. basically. So he uses this analogy to go, well, what happened if we were to take one of those shackled people and we were able to then show them the real world and then we would return them to the cave. What would happen? Like, what would their life be like? And in this analogy, uh, people, you know, in philosophy classes go like, oh, my gosh, it would be crazy. They would how would they even explain the real world to the people in the cave? And Plato actually thought that the people in the cave would probably kill the person who says that this is the fake world because they would they would want to continue to believe the lie. Um, mm -hmm. The movie The Matrix is kind of based off of this idea. So Baudrillard goes like this. That's actually not the situation we're in today. Because that supposes that the difference between the shadows on the fake world and the real world outside are different enough that someone could credibly and intelligibly recognize them. However, the world we live in today is worse because the shadows are are themselves the real the, the breakdown of the categories is such that we don't know which which are the shadows and which are the real world. And maybe the actual truth is that those categories don't matter anymore, that there's such a proliferation of bullshit inside of the Internet in so many different ways that the categories have completely lost meaning so that 
you can't tell what's real and what's fake. Well, what, and in that well, world, yeah, I, think authenticity, you, I think you need to define category because I'm not sure I understand what that means. Um, category meaning like real versus fake. Yes. Okay. Just name the category. It doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Baudrillard was very concerned with transism. So like someone being like, I'm transsexual, I'm trans male, trans female. And his concern wasn't people doing that for any moral reason. His concern was that there's a breakdown in the category of gender. This comes from a continental philosophy concept that was kind of pioneered by a guy named Jacques Lacan, um, who's a psychologist, he's a French psychologist. And the concept that he had around categories was that there are only signals that are interrelated to each other, meaning that you only know what male is because we know what female is. Now, at some level, like male and female are chromosomes inside of a cell. We know certain cells are male. We know certain cells are female. There's a biological basis for this. Mm -hmm. But in terms of like our social relationships, you only know what masculine is because we know what feminine is and we define the two things opposed to each other. Mm hmm. Lacan's concept and Baudrillard's concept and Slavoj Zizek's concept, all these guys who I really like, are basically like, that is necessary in order for us to function. There's one camp of people who are trans positive who are saying, breakdown, gender is over, there's a breakdown of it, nobody should pay attention to it. And Lacan and Slavoj Zizek and all of these guys would say, okay, that's actually a problem. And it isn't a problem because it's morally wrong. It's a problem because we have to be able to have categories in order to make decisions and in order to function with one another. Now, whether or not that debate in terms of gender is meaningful, it might it might not be. It might be it, we might be able to function in a world in which we don't need those categories. Yeah, that wasn't the point. That wasn't the point. The point. Yeah, was that's simply, not the point. Yeah, that's exactly. I just the, want to be clear. You know, the, the, the the discussion of gender is not the point. The right. point is though. The category of whether or not this is truth or false or f or fake news. We cannot live in a political structure in which those categories are not meaningful. Right. Because it's impo it is impossible fundamentally to make political choices in a world in which those things are completely meaningless. I mean, and one guy says in the documentary himself, if we live in a world in which all of the information is essentially individual, then we don't have a community. We only have individuals. And what's the point of doing any politics at all? What's the point of truth in that world? Yeah, and not only that, but in even more basic than that, basic communication. That if you and I don't agree on what that is, how can we talk about that? Whatever that is. Yep. yep. Just to have a basic conversation. If we're not even agreeing what the labels on things mean, uh, it's— Yeah, it, well, it, and that's why—this is why we've talked about previously that, like, such a problem in this argument is that— like I said in maybe the best episode we ever did, the I don't want to live in this world anymore, one of the issues that I have been having so frustratedly on both sides of, this conver of, of the political spectrum with everybody I know is defund versus reform the police. Mm -hmm. And like you say police reform in one camp and people are like, no, 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 defund. And you're like, look, man, you and I maybe are talking about almost the same things. Right. Like We just use different labels and that elicits different, different responses. They think, you're, uh, they think you're not agreeing with them. When actually you are. It's a semantics yeah. issue. And, and the problem for a guy like Slavoj Zizek is he's saying you're confusing the signifier with the signified information. So that's actually a problem. You're, you're trying to decide what puzzle pieces fit where on the puzzle board by focusing on the pieces and not focusing on the picture that you're creating. Mm, interesting. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I'm sorry to get so 
oh no no with this conversation but this is just it's really pertinent i mean bill and i and other quasi semi-intellectual friends that i have have been having this talk sort of nonstop in the last few weeks because for some reason this feels like it's reached kind of a fever pitch no um, I, agree. I think probably because of the election totally agree no and that's what i kept thinking as i was watching the show last night was oh my god this is so germane to what's happening right now oh my gosh this that explains this oh my gosh wow i didn't i thought i knew this thing but it's so much worse than i realized and i came out of that again i just watched this last night is I got no idea what to do with what I just learned. Because on one hand, it's sort of like, okay, I kind of already knew all this, but there's enough there that's beyond enough. Like none of the things that, that I learned were earth shattering, but it was the volume of things that I learned and adding them together and the quality of the people who were saying mm. what was being said. I watched this with somebody else and I kept saying, like this person right here, and like the main guy in the, the main guy in my opinion in the whole thing, the dude had kind of red hair. Mm. That dude was so impressive. Tristan yes. Harris. That's who you're talking about. Yes. Tristan Harris has been on Sam Harris's podcast, and that guy's very intelligent dude. He's been he's been banging this drum for quite a while. Well, he was the one who founded that organization whose name escapes me, but basically the gist of it is my my label for what I thought he was saying was a uh, organization for ethical utilization of social media. That'd be my yep. label for it. It's some entity that he founded that a number of these people who were also on the show were a part of. Many of them were not. But it was, it, it, they were just quality, super intelligent. I mean, all these people, these are all people who were in on the ground floor at Twitter, Google, YouTube, Facebook. They even had Sean Parker on there, yep. you know, who was one of the, the co-founders of Facebook, I think. And uh, I mean, it yep, was just and the creator of uh, Napster. Yes. Yep. And I mean, it was just and, and another thing. This is totally irrelevant to what we're talking about. But I, I, I'm just curious if you have made the same observation. Now, keep in mind, all the people that we're referring to on the show, I believe, are no longer working for the entities where they became famous because they've taken these positions that they're now speaking about publicly. They don't work at these companies anymore because they could come out and say all this shit publicly and keep their job and how many of them looked young oh yeah i mean one one kid i don't recall who he was this kid i kept saying this guy looks like he's 18 and he's already been in and out of google and he was like a senior vice president of something and oh yeah like, there's just like really yeah young people oh my I mean, gosh think about think about it a lot of these i mean 15 years ago it's 2005 facebook was really just kind of getting going right and you could have graduated at 21. Walked into worked, Facebook. Yeah, walked into Facebook, worked your ass off, and 15 years later, you're now 36 and <laughs> uh, probably a millionaire. A billionaire. One of the points I made on the podcast that we had, which is how much money is too much money, or how, how yeah, rich yeah. is too rich. One of the points that I made on that and that I want to talk about here is that these entities, you know what I mean, like, like Facebook, Google, their amount of influence is massively 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 out of whack like with what where they are i mean they're so large that they are disrupting the everything. environments that they exist in everything yeah they they're they're like a black hole like like the laws of physics break down because of the massive size of a black hole it's like the same thing is true with like google and facebook like the amount of money and influence you're talking about. 
I mean, the point that really totally stood out agree. to me, without even talking about how they operate politically, just the, I mean, in terms of direct influence, right. you know, by like giving money or by who knows what. But one of the things that I want to just mention is that this is all about persuasion and perception change. Like, how oh, could yeah. it not be? Yeah. How, how, how could it not be? That's the only way that they can make money. That and was the dude that, who had the dreadlocks. Oh, yeah. That's that, that, that guy. <laughs> what a unique fellow. I mean, just think about this. Like, Amazon wants you to have an Echo Dot in every one of your rooms. I mean, they just have an Echo Dot with a child stand. If you go to Amazon.com right now, I just went to the Amazon page. One of the first things they're showing me is Echo Dot with child stand, and it's meant to look like it's Yoda or something. Mm-hmm. Like, this thing is monitoring your conversations 24 hours a day. Oh, yeah. It's listening all the time. People who would ref- who would believe that there's some prurient interest in the government who's trying to listen in on your conversations will willingly put a fucking echo dot in their living room. And no, have, I totally agree. No, Jeff I, Bezos do it. Oh, I totally agree, and I think that's crazy. Like that's why I would never put one of those devices in my home, even though right now I have in my left hand my iPhone, which is listening to everything I say. It's listening all the time. I mean, I just I'm saying I don't want to put that device in my house because it's listening all the time. While I have this device right here that's listening all the time, all the time. Yeah. yeah, and it's interesting because we've had a number of I don't know. I think I think I counted that we've now done this will be the 41st podcast that we've done. And I don't recall ever hearing you as jacked up as you are in this conversation. Like, I didn't realize that you had this much interest in this topic. I hope this is the case. I think that people, including myself, including you, including other people, are starting to get wise to the fact that they're like, oh, wait a minute. All of the insanity that has gone on in the last 10 years in this country isn't due to entirely regular human differences. It's not organic. Yeah, it's in it's being it's being fueled by a weird warped series of things of algorithms. All, yeah, by algorithms that are all pointing us in directions that are meant to fray us individually but allow us to you know but but that so then it can you know exploit us financially. And I think that's by and large exactly what's happening one of the great things to watch in my in in my opinion was watching those congressional hearings where both sides of the aisle were basically taking major internet companies to task for their business practice it's weird because it's like we had this conversation when we talked about the antitrust hearings but it's like look dude those companies need to be broken up and the fact that we don't know what that environment is going to look like is an indication that they need to be broken up no, like, I agree. I don't think I've spoken with a single person who doesn't at some level feel like they want to scream in the last like especially the last couple of years. But like it just everything is at this insane fever pitch. And I think it's I mean, it's by design. And whether or not that design is intentionally malevolent, it certainly is accidentally malevolent. And mm, well I said. think that if you feel overwhelmed and confused and frustrated that's the correct feeling like you're you're actually experiencing the world the way you are supposed to be experiencing it right now and that's i think it's a warning sign it's like look dude if you can't conceive of a reality in which facebook and 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 google and amazon are broken up then that's a sign we absolutely have to do that to get to the other side of it i agree and another thing that just amplifies everything you just said And Tristan said this. He said, they found that fake news is six times more viral than real news. 
Oh, yeah. So what do you do with that? Because yeah. if you are a designer of an algorithm and your goal is to create activity and buzz and comments and likes and interaction among your users, and you know that, and you know that, that uh, something that's completely fabricated is going to be six times more viral than something that isn't, wouldn't you just common sense skew in favor of things you believed to be fake? Oh yeah, you would. Oh, yeah. I'm, that's just—it's just real. It's just we're, we we've created an environment in which the rewards for being moral and, po and positively social are so much worse than being immoral and selfish and a sociopath. Yes, absolutely. And and again, and, and then and then the final piece of what I just said is. How many times did someone say something like this? And the truth of the matter is that at a certain point, the AI just kind of takes over. Yeah. And it kind of takes on a life of its own and it starts making adjustments on its own based upon previous commands yep. because that's what you want it to do, really. That's the whole idea of it. But at a certain point, I could see, and I, and I, I think you're right, I think we're, we're very close to whatever that is. And I believe that this social dilemma thing it, in and of itself is going to be massively viral because I've, I've seen countless people talking about it. That's why I watched it because somebody yep. that I really know and respect said, if you haven't watched Social Dilemma, you got to watch it. And yep. I'm like, I don't even know what it is. Then I looked it up and I thought, oh, that looks interesting. Then I started watching it and it took me, you know, one minute to be completely engrossed. <laughs> well, to, to be completely shocked and terrified. <laughs> well, I was just, it was just so well done and it's so, it's so relevant. It's so, it's so important. It's so current. And something's got to change for sure because this path can't continue. Because you yeah, know, like you said, that really, guy, that it, guy said, really can't. that guy said straight up, and your description of it was perfect. And that dude was awesome too. The dude yep. with that gray V neck. I don't know. Yep. He he was in on several different majors. Pinterest. He was, I think, Pinterest CEO and some. Like I think he might have been at Facebook or Google. But I mean, another guy that looked incredibly young with a resume that was ridiculous. Remember when he uh, when he was he talked about developing Pinterest? He said I'd work all day at Pinterest, then I'd go home and look at Pinterest. Yeah. Because what I designed, what I and my team designed, was so addictive. I couldn't stop doing it. I couldn't stop using, and he says, and I know I created it. I mean, yep. I can't defeat something that I that I willingly created and know how it was created. So stop and think about that. That's terrifying. I mean, it's like creating something that, you know, that you want it to addict people, then you yourself become addicted to it, even though you know the goal was to addict people. It's, where does it end? And yeah, the Civil War comment, that really shook me up. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's funny because I heard that and I was like, that's the moment where I was like, fuck, I need to send this to my uncle because he... uh He's this is going to. He's all about the Civil the War. He's, he's all about the Civil War. He's totally. He's <laughs> buying guns and shit that he can't even find online. That dude is committed. He bought guns he couldn't even find online. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to try to buy a gun when you can't find one after one Google search? I know that's that's ridiculous. That's the new level of I worked hard. Is you know what I had to do four Google searches. I had to, to go to page three of of search results. The other day, <laughs> I like had to take a nap. Yeah. Oh my gosh, man. That's yeah. Where do we go with this? Because it's like, I've, on one hand, I feel like we kind of covered just now. We kind of covered the basics. On the other hand, I feel like we haven't had one percent of the conversation that's really there to be had. And and I'm just curious as to what's going to come of this. Here's my prediction. My prediction is that nothing 
will come of this. This will be a short-lived craze, craze, I mean, this documentary, The Social Dilemma, will get millions of views, it'll be talked about for a while, and then like everything else, it'll just fade. It'll just fade into the woodwork, and it's not like we'll forget it, but it won't really change anything that we do because it's not, no, yeah, it's not gonna. People we're aren't that, gonna. We're that addicted. Yeah, people aren't gonna change their action items. Well, and especially when you think, okay, well, who do I communicate with? Who who is important to me in my life? Not a hundred percent of them are on Facebook, as an example, but about ninety-eight percent of them are, and that's where I communicate with them more than anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I started thinking about this myself. I think that there's a handful of things that would need to happen. And part of the challenge is that it's like we're living in, in a biological environment right now that's preventing a bunch of this from happening. But it's like, I think that one of those things is that people need to kind of stop using things that track a ton of their data. And there are alternatives. BT Dub. I mean, DuckDuckGo is one of them. There are browsers. I mean, ProtonMail is another example. Well, it's like there are things that don't track your data. Let me Two, just interject real quickly, and then yep. uh, this will be quick, but it, I want to say it in, in the context of what you just said. So I'm, so back to how I started this. Uh, this guy, Jim, the guy who told me about this book, ComSec. Yep. So we had lunch yesterday, and we, we talked about all this. He's got all this equipment. He's going to be buying all this new equipment. And he's like, I'll, I'll sell you all this stuff. Basically, what I have is brand new. I'll give it to you for half of what I paid. I'll teach you everything you need to know so I can have you up to speed literally in like a couple of hours where it took me several weeks to figure this shit out on my own. I can just tell you exactly what to do. And so dot, dot, dot. Okay, dude, here's where you commit to this, to me. Yep, yep. And I sat there. And I found that I was desperately trying to come up with reasons not to do it. And Oh, yeah, dude. It's so nuts. Well, and let me – I just got one, one key point to make here. And he didn't really have a good reply to this, which just sort of made me feel like I won the argument. I won the right to do the wrong thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what it was is this. Okay, so let's assume I do everything you tell me to do. Nobody can track my location anymore, blah, 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 blah. Well, what about everything I've already done? Yeah. Because all that shit's not going away. And another thing I found from the first chapter of this book is that these entities that have access to, like, your internet searches and your phone calls, and by the way, all those phone calls are recorded, FYI, they keep them for, for I believe the way it was worded was a minimum of five years, or they're required to keep them for five years, or something like that. The point is, there was clearly discretion involved, so that Somebody could, they could just, Verizon, for example, could just decide to keep your stuff forever. Yeah, why not? And, oh, by the way, one final sidebar is that they mentioned Verizon by name multiple times as the worst offender of the no, major. surprise me. And by the way, that's the one I use. My main point there, which kind of got lost, was that. What are you going to do? It's already done. A yeah, lot of it's already done. I mean, if somebody wants to use my uh, web activities against me, no matter what I do from this moment forward, it's irrelevant. What's the difference between we have 5,000 things that we can publish that would embarrass you versus— Or 3,000 things. Exactly. So yeah. if that's true, and if I already know that all this shit has been recorded and, and archived somewhere that anybody who wants to ever ruin me can, then what's the point of even stopping? Because it's just, like you just said, 3,000 versus 5,000 versus 20,000 versus 100,000. What's the difference? And that yeah, right pretty, there. It's pretty fucking weird, man, living in this. Let's imagine in the 19th century there was a kingdom or a country in which there were hordes of people following 
everybody tracking their every movement, walking around, reporting back to some central location about everything they did, every conversation they had. Those people would no one would stand for that. Yep. You know what I mean? But that's the world we live in now. And it isn't the government. It's agencies that you have no oversight over. Yeah. Well, that you uh, that owe you nothing. Yeah. And it's a blog post that I'm just started writing, but basically the point of it is that once America moves in a socialist direction, you know, where there's an official election outcome where someone who's openly advocating socialism wins, because in my opinion, that's inevitable. It's just a matter of when will it be? Will it be this election or the next one or the next? It's going to happen. There's too many people who have been convinced of things that are not, in my opinion, not reality at all, but that's a separate issue. The point is, once that transition happens, and we know that the tech companies are all on that side, all of them, all of them. I mean, that's nobody's debating that, are they? Mm, I, I mean, I don't think so. Yeah, I think that's clear. I mean, it, it's clear that they all lean a certain way politically, and I don't want to. My point in saying this is not to have a discussion about that specifically, but but instead to make this point is that once whatever political party it is that aligns with those tech companies gains power, they will never again lose it. And, oh, yeah. And, and because they will then have all those resources actively working to keep working them in power. Working in their, in their favor. So yeah. stop and think about this. Let's assume that that happens, a regime change takes place, and there's all these social freedoms that we have are continue to be eroded in a radical fashion. How on earth would anyone ever assemble a political opposition to that? Because No, because it would be so you, – you're, you're talking about – I mean, how, how do, do you I, fight – How do I call you? It, it's the same issue of how do you fight the railroad in the 19th century. What are you going to do? It's the only fucking railroad in town. Like you get, there's no competition. There's nobody who's on a different alignment here. You're, you know, you're, you're massively dwarfed by these forces that are so much more powerful than you. And you have nothing that you can do really to, to fight them because they, they've accumulated so much, but, but it's so many resources. Correct. There just, there just isn't. Right. But, this is much more insidious because the difference is you're right. You're absolutely correct in what you said. But now imagine the railroad can listen to every phone call you make yep. and read Agreed. every email you send. So if you and I wanted to start some grassroots movement against whatever that future government is, how the fuck would we do it? The only way we could do it is if you and I were in a room together and there were no devices anywhere near us. That is literally yep. the only way we could have an open conversation about political overthrow for example, mm. because any other way we would do it, phone, email, text, whatever, we know all those resources can be openly utilized and used against us. And another thing that was mentioned multiple times in this ComSec book in the first chapter, I think it was mentioned three times in 10 pages, is the idea of governments being able to access information by way of political leverage over individual companies. Mm. Which makes perfect sense because, for example, if if Trump were to go to Google right now and say, listen, here are your options. I am going to break you up. I'm going to use the antitrust laws to break you up. Or you can give me access to everything you have. Your choice. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Google is easily going to be like, well, here you go. <laughs> uh, or or, or uh, that Google is already in bed with some political people and what Google's getting out of it is carte blanche to do whatever the fuck they want to do ever because we're providing information to these people and that's the deal. 
And to yeah. me, that is so easy. You just know that's happening. That's just obvious and and totally common sense. You already said it. They have so much undue wealth, influence, power, political connection that I can't even imagine how intoxicating it must be to be a major player at a Google or at a Facebook. To be Mark Zuckerberg or Sergey Brin or Larry oh, Page. You can't let that. Yeah, you can't let it go. No, and, and nor would you. I mean, you would be so high on this shit. I can't stand Zuckerberg, but only because I think he's personally just the most bizarre human ever. Yeah, he's uh, I mean, super weird. I mean, every time I see that guy, I think he's just that guy. That's not human, right there. He feels yeah. like a like he was Some manufactured kind of like robot. Yeah, yeah, like a really high quality robot. Um, a really high quality. <laughs> This is it's a, it's a weird one because I feel like this is almost like the perfect distillation in so many of the things that we've talked about previously. But it's also like it's hard to have a conversation like this sometimes because there's just no escape valve on it. Well, there's, you know no, I mean? and, there's, no, and there's no solution. There's no like positive like, well, well, here's the good thing about what we're talking about. The only hope that I kind of seem to have is that and I said this previously to you is that people who otherwise have political differences I think are all kind of mutually recognizing that they're like, oh, my argument isn't really with the other side here. It's with this prurient, invisible force that's been basically fucking up the center of this conversation for the last 10 years, worse and worse as time goes on. And right. the second is that I think that what you said in terms of both political parties or people on different sides of the political spectrum are all kind of getting to the place where they're like, shit, if there is some possibility that these major social media companies can be partnered with in a way that allows group, one group to subvert the conversation and stay in power, we better check their power because we might be on the losing end of that yep. conversation, which I think it was interesting to see both sides of the political aisle having that conversation with the heads of those companies because i think that that's i mean that's just real yeah i hope that that they think that that's a real way out of the problem i mean aside from that and then running for political office myself which of course would be fucked up on my five thousand google searches or whatever oh yeah you'd be toast like, immediately yeah dude i'd be done <laughs> i mean, no, I mean for, for real i mean let's be serious here and in fact okay i'm, I'm gonna finish with one one more thing that came up in this conversation i had with this guy jim yesterday is I was making a comment uh, when I was – the part where I said my logic for probably not doing any of this is because I know there's just so much dirt anybody would have on me already. And and I said, what percentage of people do you think are out there who are active internet users who have never done anything online that they would not want others to know about? I think that percentage is super low. I don't know what you think it is. What do you think it is? Uh, I mean five, – 5%, 2%, 10%? You, no, it's like lower. I mean, I don't think there's any percent. <laughs> well, no, there are people out there who who literally have never done anything. I know that there are, but I'm saying I think, I, yeah, I think probably it's more like five percent or less of sure. people. So anyway, we started having that dialogue, and this guy said this to me. This guy, this guy's, I think he's over eighty. He said, "Yeah, I have a friend that married a woman who's much younger than him, and he unfortunately early into their marriage started having some." erectile dysfunction issues. So just uh, as an attempt to be his own fluffer, and I love using the term fluffer, but he got into porn a little bit. He's watching some porn. And, and Jim said it's not like he was watching it every day. He basically, we just do it right before he was going to have sex with his younger wife. 
And then one day, the police show up at his house. What? And they come in and seize his computer under the claim that they believe he's trafficking in child pornography. What? Yeah. Now, could this guy have actually been doing that? Of course. Could could the guy have lied to Jim about what he was really doing? Absolutely. But I don't know. I just got this feeling that maybe the guy was just innocent. Maybe he just accidentally clicked one button one time that took him to some website he wasn't even attending to go to. Yep. You know, and then I mean, suddenly now you're like fucked for life. Yeah, that, and that, that, that was the, that was the end of the whole, uh, that whole line of conversation was Jim said, what sucks is there's nothing he'll ever be able to do to wash that stain off of himself. Oh, yeah, they're guilty of accusation and yeah, everything. Yeah, because you know they're going to find porn or they're going to find search history of porn. So there's at least that. Then it just becomes a matter of, well, which Now it's porn? on the record that you yeah. were, had yeah. your computer seized because of child pornography. Yeah. That, that doesn't, you don't lose that, man. No, no. It's, that's just terrifying. Yeah, it really is. We probably should have a follow-up just because I think that there's a lot of probably loose ends that came up in this that we're not recognizing because we're in it having the conversation in real time. So, and we had no idea we were having this conversation. So I think this was a good opening of the door into these topics, which these should be, these really should be like the hottest topics on the planet. Because I think a lot of people would say, no, it should be politics. Well, in my opinion, this topic is driving that topic. Oh yeah, agreed. It, it absolutely, if, if it's not the primary driver, it's a, it is a major driver because one more thing that was said in the, the documentary was about how it's it takes what you are and makes you more of that. So if you're someone that leans right kind of hard like I do, it's going to make me even harder right. And that's not real. Yeah, it's dangerous, man. I mean, we should, we should continue this conversation. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, this has been a good one. And everybody, thanks for listening. And we hope to see you or that you listen to us or however you want to think of it in the very near future. Until then, have a great, great day.